Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Before we, do, we jump into 1 Thessalonians here, I want to give you a little bit of historical background. Now, I do have to ask you, are you guys bored with my historical backgrounds? I do this like every single Sunday. I want to give you the context of what is, is happening here. And I see a lot of heads going like this, so that means I can proceed with the history lesson for this morning. Well, 1 Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul, and this was a church Paul had planted um, on his second missionary journey. Paul traveled the Mediterranean Sea and planted different churches all around, and this was one of the churches that Paul has planted. And actually, in the book of Acts, we actually get a glimpse of how this church actually started. Acts chapter 17, I want to read the first 10 verses in Acts 17 because it will give you a picture of, hey, Paul, you are writing this letter to this church. Well, how did this church get started? Where did this church come from? What was happening at the time? And it will give you a little bit of a better background to understanding 1 Thessalonians. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 17, and I want to, to, to just be looking at how did this church start. So Acts 17, starting in verse 1, it says this. And now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Ampolian, Am, I'm terrible. Somebody help me out here. Where's Garrett today? Garrett's like dynamite with these words. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So Paul and Silas come to this town, and what was custom for Paul, and specifically because of Paul's Jewish background, he would find the local synagogue, and he would go there. And he was open, and he would... He would basically go there and he would teach the people. And it says this, he was there for three Sabbath days. And it's interesting because that, that line of three, three weeks, basically, is going to show up again. And in verses, um, verse, verse 4, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. As did a great many of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So Paul and Silas come to this town, and they share with them about Christ. And it says, some of the Jewish people came to faith, but many Greeks, and then it's kind of this awkward saying of not few, many of the leading women. Basically, a lot of the leading women in the town came to faith in Christ. And it points out, once again, let's uh, just keep on going here. Verse 5. This is how the story starts to make a turn. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. The house of Jason is where Paul and Silas were staying. In verse 6, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, 
and Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of, of, of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they had heard these things. When they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to, to Berea. And they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So what happens here is Paul and Silas are in this town for three weeks. I want you just to really keep that number in the back of your head as we read First Thessalonians. Paul and Silas come there. They're on their missionary journey. They go. They preach Christ. Many people in the town come to faith in Jesus. And then the religious authorities become jealous. The religious authorities decide to start a mob. And basically, their goal is to chase them out of town. But it's interesting here because in the midst of this mob, you see once again these religious people have no cares for their king. See, the Jewish people had a king. And we had actually talked about this last week, how, how their king was God. And their allegiance was to be to their God and their king. But here, you see once again, the religious people have no cares for their king because they go to the authorities like a little kid trying to tattle on someone in the playgrounds. And they say, listen, these people are talking about a different king. They completely abandon their king once again, and they give their allegiance to Caesar. Well, anyways, Paul and Silas, they get chased out of town, and it says within Scripture here that they had to leave by night. So just imagine this. This is how the church gets started. Here's a church. Here's a group of people. Two missionaries come to town. They preach. And not just preach, but they have conversation. They spend three weeks there answering questions, talking with the people, arguing from the scriptures who Jesus is, about his death and about his resurrection. And then they leave. Well, First Thessalonians is Paul writing a letter to this church. Paul loved these people. Paul was wondering, what is going on with this church? How are these people doing? Now, I'm not going like, to lie to you here. If I planted a church in three weeks and then had to leave, wouldn't you be kind of like, oh, this church can't be doing well? Like, <laughs> Three weeks? Like, three weeks, that was it. These people had three weeks of teachings from Paul and from Silas, and that was it. First Thessalonians, turn with me. Let's see how the church is doing here. We're going to read the entire first chapter, and we're only going to really focus on this week on the first four verses. But let's read, and let's stand this morning as we read first Thessalonians, starting in verse 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith in labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved 
by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Archeria. And for now, and for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols, you, from idols to serve the living God and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, as we come to your word this morning, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bring us encouragement, that you would challenge us through your Holy Spirit. Father, we give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated here. So Paul opens up his letter and wants to let the people know who is writing this letter to him. In verse 1, Paul mentions three names. Mentions himself, Silvanus, who is actually Silas, and Timothy. Paul writes to the church and says, this is who I'm writing, this is who is writing to you. And it's interesting because Paul mentions to them that Silas is with them. Silas, who was there with Paul on the missionary journey, who helped plant the church, is writing this letter to the people. In verse 2, Paul says this. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've ever read 1 Thessalonians, you will see throughout this letter, Paul had a special love for this church. In fact, this is actually Paul's very first letter. As you look at all of Paul's, Paul's writings, this is actually documented. The very first letter Paul ever penned was to this church. And Paul was constantly praying for him, constantly remembering these people. Because the reception Paul got and who these people were and how they turned from their idols and came to faith in Christ, Paul was encouraged by these people. But I want to focus in on this morning is verse 3. And I believe that this verse right here, which, which you will actually see if you read other Paul writings from Romans to every other epistle Paul wrote, you will see these words that we will be looking at today linked together over and over again throughout Paul's teachings. And I want to really focus in, and, and I believe that as Paul thinks about this church, these words is what I believe make a great church. Verse 3. 
Paul says this, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul reflects and thinks about this church, and as he thinks about who these people were, he thinks of these words. Now, have you guys ever seen this sign before? I've got a faith, hope, and love. Have you guys ever, ever seen that? You might even have that up in your house, right? Like this is, this is very, very common within Christianity. It's pretty much it's everywhere. I don't know if you know this, but it comes from this scripture verse. And you all, you could argue it comes from many scripture verses, but since this is Paul's first letter, I would argue that it would come from the very first letter from this scripture verse here. And it's interesting because we love these words, faith, hope, and love. They sound so encouraging. They sound so great. But do you see the words that are linked with them this morning? You have got work, labor, and steadfastness. So I decided to jump online, and I could buy this sign at a million websites online. But I, but I said, I would like to have work, labor, and steadfast on a sign. Church, I can't find that sign. <laughs> I mean, Scripture links these words with those words, and I thought, well, these words are, are, are so common, and everybody in our world loves these words. I think they even made a movie about it. But I said, what about labor? What about work? What about steadfastness? Could I find those words linked together? And it's interesting because within this scripture verse, Paul links these words together. And that is what I really want to be focusing in on today. Your work of love, your, or your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your work of faith If you have grown up in church, you have learned from the Reformation until now, especially since Martin Luther established this very, very clearly, that you are saved by grace, not by works, as what Ephesians says, through faith. But here, Paul says, as he thinks about this church, he's reflecting upon them, and he says, I'm remembering your work of faith. That this group of people that Paul is writing to, this group of people had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they had their work to go along with it. They weren't just talking about faith, but they were men and women who lived out their faith by how they lived, how they worked. Now, in Greek, which I know you guys all love Greek, and that's why I constantly bring it up here, there was two, two different uh, Greek words used for work. There is, um, sorry here, I lost my place here. Sorry guys. Guys, this is, I've had a rough weekend. I went bikepacking. I spent two days, I did 120 miles. Just, I'm, just, I'm just a little bit out of it here, so Sorry. Your work of faith. Let me just get a little bit refocused back here. Before we get to the Greek, because that's on the next section. The Jewish community, when they used the term good works, 
they meant acts of charity to the poor, visitation of the sick, hospitality to strangers, comfort for the downtrodden, and any other helpful activity to the people who were poor and afflicted. But Paul isn't just writing to the Greek community. He's writing, or just to the Jewish community, he's writing to the Greek community as well. And within their community, when you use the term the good works, it usually meant on behalf of family or friends or the community, and it had a much broader sense. But Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, listen, your faith and your works, they're going hand in hand here. You had works of faith. And we know this because out of Luke chapter 6, verse 43, we know that works is important. For Jesus says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bushes. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Church, faith and works, though your works will not save you, faith and works are definitely tied together throughout all of Scripture. James 2 makes it very, very clearly. Show me your works. And this church that Paul is writing to, as he reflects, they were a church that had good works. That their works and their faith were going hand in hand. They weren't just talking a good talk, but they were living it out. Then he goes on, he talks about labor of love. And this is where the Greek word comes in, which I messed up last time, so I'm sorry. Labor of love. In Greek, there are two words used for labor. Ergon and kopos. These two different words. Ergon may be pleasant and stimulating, but kopos, when talking about labor, implies toil that is strenuous and sweat-producing. When Paul writes about this church, and as he thinks about this church, he says, your labor of love, your kopos of love, your labor has been strenuous. Your labor has been sweat-producing. Now, why would loving and that possibly go hand in hand? Well, if you look at how this church got started, the church got started in persecution. It was birthed into persecution. That right away, within three weeks, Paul and Silas teaching and talking and planting a church, instantly, what happens? The city goes into an uproar. The religious people get people. There's a mob they get, they get ran out of town. And as Paul thinks about these people, they labored in love. Not just for Paul, but I believe for the people around them. Do you guys know how difficult it is to love people who don't like you? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you're like, Pastor, I wake up every day smiling thinking about those people. It is really, really difficult, and you guys know this, to love people that don't love you. Now imagine loving people that hate you, that persecute you, that want you out of their city, that want nothing to do with you. 
who want nothing to do with Jesus. Have you ever come across somebody? Maybe you've got a family member, a friend, a co-worker. Maybe you have been trying to bring them to Christ or, or show them Christ. And anytime Jesus even gets mentioned, they're hostile. They're just, I don't want to talk about that. Don't ever bring that up. And these people had this love and had this labor that was strenuous, that was sweat-producing. And they just loved, and they, and they faced some seriously difficult challenges. But they were a people that, were, that loved even in the most difficult of times. And I talk about this often, like, here in, like, America, within Marquette County, like, I mean, like, we don't really face harsh persecutions. We're not like our brothers and sisters in Saudi Arabia or our brothers and sisters in China or our brothers and sisters in any Muslim-controlled comp- I almost said company, country. They face harsh persecution where it's like death is like on the line. Imagine loving somebody through that. Imagine continuing on to love them. To wanting what C.S. Lewis says, the very best for them in all circumstances. Somebody gets us upset and we're just like, I want nothing to do with you. But when they're living in a hostile environment, they keep on loving. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This church could have easily have given up on, on their culture. The Greek culture, we don't have time to go into all of their craziness. And we tend to like think like, oh, the American culture right now, it's getting so bad. Guys, what they did in those cultures, like, I, I can't even talk about it because we have children in the room still. Their culture was horrendous. And these people in this church, which was birthed in three weeks, as Paul reflects upon them, he reflects upon how they labor in love, how they continue on in this love, not just for them, but for their community around them. And I think that it's, it's so encouraging because, because, guys, it's so easy just to give up like, on people. You might have a family member, co-worker, that's just, it, it drives you crazy to even see them, to even be around them. You might be looking at someone right now who drives you absolutely nuts. But how do we labor in love? Think about that. How do we labor? How do we, are we willing to love when it's really, really strenuous? When it's like, oh, I just want to just give up. I'm kind of tired of loving that person. This church and these people, they labored in it. It was strenuous. It was, it was, it was extremely difficult. But Paul moves on. He says, Your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Another word used for steadfastness could be endurance. Nothing was shaking this church. They were steadfast in their hope for Christ. Regardless of their circumstances, regardless of everything that was taking place, around them, they were, they were fixated on Christ. They were just steadfast on Jesus. 
And guys, I, I think this is so amazing. And I know I brought this up, but I want you to really think about this. It was planted in three weeks. Imagine you come to church three times. Then the city, council, and government turn on every single Christian. And the people who came to this town and shared Christ with you get chased out of town. How's your faith? How's your love? How's your hope in Christ? These people were clinging to Jesus Christ. They had been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just like, yeah, I just, you know, we went down to the synagogue a couple times and we heard, heard a pretty good message. These people were completely in love with Jesus. And they were steadfast in their hope of Christ. Just, I'm in regardless of what happens. Whether everything fails, my hope is in Christ. My hope is in him and in him alone. James 1-2. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There is something so amazing about people who endure with Christ. Who don't give up, who don't fall to the world around them, who don't give in to the pressures of what this world throws at them, but just endure. But I can tell you something else. It is heartbreaking, heartbreaking when you see people that have not endured. Many of you have been Christians long enough. It is one of the most heartbreaking things in my life when I come across people that I used to do ministry with, that I used to have amazing fellowship with, who, who I used to worship with, who, who used to love Jesus with me, who would encourage me and challenge me, and I come across them 10, 15 years later, and there's nothing. It's like nothing's there. You talk about Christ, and it's awkward. And they're just like, and I'm just sitting there thinking, like, how are, how are you not still excited about Jesus? At what point in time did you lose your hope in Christ? And I cannot tell you how many times this has happened to me. This one guy, we, we came to know Jesus at the same time, freshman in college. He went on to do campus, or not uh, campus ministry, youth ministry in lower Michigan. Something went wrong. He became bitter. Left it. And is, and like, is pursuing a homosexual lifestyle in, like, Madison. Like, and I, I even messed him. I'm like, dude, what happened? Like, like, we were loving Jesus together. We were in Bible study together. Like, and he goes, I don't want anything to do with it. And it's like he lost his steadfastness. He gave up on the hope of Christ. And you guys have probably seen this time and time again. It is heart-wrenching. To see men and women who you thought, man, they really seemed like they really loved the Lord. And then years go by and that's just gone. And Paul is writing to this church. And Paul's news is that they're still with it. They're still hanging on. They're still steadfast. They're still enduring underneath horrific trials and persecution. But they're pressing on. 
I think about Jesus' words in Matthew 24. Jesus is talking with his disciples, and I, I want to read this to you, because this is a warning as well. It says this, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, Matthew 24, verse 3, The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be signs of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. It's like a warning. He's looking at his disciples. They came to him privately. Jesus, when, when will the like, end times come? When will this whole thing just be like, done away with? In Jesus' first warning, make sure that nobody leads you astray. Verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be fam famine and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9, they will deliver you over, or they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of my kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the prophetic details here because Jesus is speaking about the end times. I don't know the hour or the place, but I do know that Christ will return. But Jesus gives this warning. He says, listen, many will be led astray. But those who endure to the end. And I think that this is one of the most key characteristics of a great follower of Christ and of a great church. Those who can endure underneath trials. Underneath everyone trying to pull you away from Christ. And as Paul reflects upon this church, he remembers how these people, how they, their work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I think about our church, how can we live that out? How can we be men and women who just let our faith shine through our works? Can we talk about Christ and live it out as well? Can our actions meet our words? Can we labor of love for the people around us? I'm telling you, it's becoming more and more difficult in this world to love. There is this divide. There is this, there is this movement that is just pinning people against people. And, 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 and it, it affects me. I'm seeing it affect me. 
Like, I, it's just like, I'm, I'm just like, Lord, like, like, help me to love these people. Because everything around me is like wanting to like divide us and say, well, you know, those people, they got a different political view and, and they do things and they got this. And, and it's like, it can become strenuous. It can become really, really difficult to love people. Loving people is not easy. You guys, if you don't know that, if, if, if you never got that memo that loving people is somehow easy, it is one of the most difficult things you can do. Personalities are going to clash. Different views. Every, I mean, there's so many variables there. And to love people. Not just people in our room here. The church should be the most loving towards one another. The world will know us by our love for one another. Even, even just loving people in a church can be difficult. Loving people in your own household can be difficult. And then the world around us, that's just constantly trying to rip us apart and pin us against one another. And I'm telling us, like, just, just don't even buy into that. When you see another human being, whether they completely disagree with you on every level, and I mean every level, can you... Can you look at them and say, God created them. Jesus Christ came and died for this person. I don't know where they're at in their faith, but I'm going to love them. I'm going to bring this gospel of hope of our Lord to them. I'm going to care for them. And it can be so difficult at times. This past week, I got invited to go bikepacking. And I've, I've been talking about this, and you guys know my, uh, my, uh, my uh, training has been just superb. A lot of carbs, a lot of YouTube videos, uh, a lot of focus there on just all of that. And uh, I show up, and uh, I get invited in. And instantly I realize I don't belong here. <laughs> Not just because of fitness. I was the chubbiest person there, yes. But I was just like culturally... I don't have anything in common with these guys. Just our lifestyle. Just how we live. You know, like, it's like I'm married and kids, and these guys are like, I'm never getting married, and I don't want kids. And, and it was just, as I was sitting there biking, and as we were, like, setting up camp, I was just like, Lord, like, you love these people. I know that I have got nothing in common with them. And it was difficult. Like, as we're biking, I'm trying to make conversation, and it becomes crystal clear that I don't fit in here, that I'm not, like, part of, like, this group of people, right? Like, say, like, once we set up camp, they want to party. And I'm just like, I'd like to just go and read my Bible for a little bit, you know? Like, I'm just like, it, and, but as I was sitting there, I was like, man, this is, this is difficult to really love these people because I got nothing in common with them, except that we're both on a bike with really sore behinds, and we're going to bike 60 miles today. And as I think about us, church, you have people in your life that are probably really, really difficult to love right now, where it's really, really strenuous, where it, it really takes a lot out of you, where you might say, if I spend a weekend with so-and-so, I'm going to be emotionally and mentally drained. The love Christ wants us to have for people is love that will, it's just blood, sweat, and tears 
And even though it is difficult, I would just say as you look at these people, look them right in the eye and realize that God created them. That God loves them. That God died on the cross for their sins. They may not know it in this moment, but it does not take away that while we were yet still sinners, Christ, what did he do? He died for the world. And to love them, man, that can be difficult. But the last thing is, is for our hope. If you have not recognized this, if your hope is in anything else other than Jesus Christ, it is destined to fail. And we have talked about that several times throughout this entire pandemic. That, that, that like, if your hope was, if it was in your job or within, you know, everything, it was just, it just came crumbling down overnight. Our hope has to be, church, in Christ and in Christ alone. Our hope is not in people, it's not in money, it's not in anything of this world. It is in our Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul writes to this church, my prayer for our church is that we would be a church like this. That we would have works of faith. That we would labor in love. And that we would be steadfast in our Lord Jesus Christ. That nothing would deter us from him. That our eyes would be so focused on Christ that this entire place could be burning to the ground and our hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. That is what I think is what makes a great church. And as we dive into 1 Thessalonians over these next several weeks, Paul has some encouragement to him. He's got some challenges for him. And I'm excited for us to just, to just look at how Paul writes to this church that he loves and that he planted here. I want you to stand and I, I want to pray for us this morning. And then uh, I'm also going to pray over, over offering here. I think we'll just end in prayer this morning, worship team. I, I appreciate you guys uh, leading us today, but let me pray for you, and then I want to pray over our, our offering here too as we go. Let me pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for how you, how you came for us. Father, help us to be a church that lives out our faith, that will love people, and Father, help us to be a church that, that just puts our hope in you and in you alone. Father, challenge us to encourage us. Remind us of these words as we see faith, hope, and love on signs. Lord, remind us of your words this morning. And Father, as we go, Lord, I pray over our, our offering this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, as we give to you, that we will honor you. And Lord, may your kingdom continue to grow here in Marquette and around the world. God, I give you praise now and I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.